0: Well, good morning. Morning again. It's great to see each one of you and thank you for being here today. And uh, good morning to those of you watching online. Hello online. We love you and appreciate you. And thanks for watching. Um, We're in a series here called Grow and What Does It Mean? Thinking about, talking about what it means to to be growing spiritually. In week one, we agreed together that good things happen when we grow spiritually, Uh, bad things happen when we stop growing. And, um, yeah, in week two, Pastor Ashley led us in what would Jesus do? Week three was the fruit of the Spirit, the produce that God wants to produce in our lives. If you're growing spiritually, we'll see it. There'll be evidence in your life. We'll be able to, we'll, we'll be able to say, hey, you're growing, and you're, I see it. I see it. There'll be, there'll be this fruit, this good stuff that's coming out of your life. Um, and another way that we're going to talk about this morning, another way that... Uh, you can measure your spiritual growth is in the area of compassion. Am I becoming more and more compassionate? Uh, Is my compassion for others? Is that that growing? Is God uh, growing that in my life? Do I have an ounce of compassion? I used to lead a ministry at Moncton Wesleyan that was called, we called it Give a Rip. It was an outreach ministry because the followers of Jesus should give a rip about the needs of others. And so we just called it give a rip. Compassion is one of those things that Unfortunately, we've, we've compartmentalized it in the church. We've often made it a particular area of ministry that only a certain group of people do. You know, like we've got this compassion ministry or, or outreach ministry, and we've made compassion to be someone else's job and not necessarily the responsibility of every follower of Jesus. And I think that's unfortunate. And oftentimes, as people who go to church, we can think, well, if I give money to the church, then that 's how i 'm involved in compassion. You know I give it, and somebody else does it it 's off my list, and there are Pierres there in the church who go out and do that sort of thing, but it 's not necessarily my thing, and um, someone else will will help those people and that 's not the example that, that that Jesus gave us you know to make it, to make compassion just a particular ministry of the church. It's for all of us. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 1:41 moved with compassion Jesus reached out and touched him I am willing he said be healed Luke 7:13 when the lord saw her his heart overflowed with compassion don't cry he said Luke 15, 20, when the uh, prodigal son is returning home, and the father sees his son coming down the lane. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1, 8, he, Paul says this, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. That's, that's me on and Ann when I know I'm headed to Crosspoint for the weekend. I thought you'd applaud, but that's okay. I'll keep going. We, there's still time. Uh, 1 John 3.17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And all God's people said, gulp, right? Wow. In Matthew 25, verses 42 to 43, when Jesus was explaining how he will separate the sheep from the goats, in other words, his followers from from the pretenders, from the posers, Jesus says this, for I was hungry and you didn't, you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus was teaching publicly, uh, which was, was a normal thing to be doing. And an expert in religious law decides that he's going to test Jesus and try to trap Jesus publicly. And um, the way that Jesus responds to this teacher of religious law is he tells a parable about compassion. Because compassion in this parable that we're about to read, it forces us, it, it thrusts us into right into the center, the very center of the heart of God. So it's Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this, and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. and Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey, and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. It's a common setting for a rabbi like Jesus to be teaching publicly. And um, crowds would gather and, and listen and uh, the Pharisees knew this, that Jesus would do this, that he would stop in communities and and teach and preach. And, and so they followed around and tagged along and they would often either sit in with the crowd or they would stand, you know, to the outer side. You can picture them with their arms folded, their theological sleeves rolled up and they're just they're just waiting for Jesus to say, Something they, they can catch him on. They can trip him up. They can trap him. Or they can point him out as a fraud and tell everybody, go home. There's no need to be listening to this guy. So that's what they're doing. And uh, there's a, an expert in religious law that happens to be there on this day. And he stands up uh, says, oh, excuse me, excuse me, teacher. And he's trying to trap Jesus. He's got ill intent with this question. Now, when Luke points out to us that this was an expert in religious law, he's telling us, this is not your average, ordinary, everyday Pharisee. This guy has, has reached a whole, nother, a whole nother level. He's Pharisee deluxe. And, and so Luke wants you to know that when this guy stands up, he's, he's, there's a weight to it and that the people around would have said, oh, 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 look who just stood up. This is gonna be this is gonna be good, right? He's a worthy opponent, challenger for for Jesus. And Luke says that he stands up and he tests Jesus. Now, testing Jesus is like going up against God on jeopardy, <laughs> right? Like you're you're not going to win. And he wants to expose Jesus as a fraud. And Jesus could have very quickly cut this guy down. He could have exposed him as a fraud. He could have embarrassed him. Um, but he didn't do that. Instead, when Jesus is, is um, tested, has this question thrown at him, Jesus responds with a story, a parable, that not only takes this, this Pharisee deluxe, but in the entire crowd and us this morning, it takes us right to the very heart of God all this guy gets from Jesus and Jesus knows his heart but all he gets from Jesus is love grace and compassion Jesus gives him compassion so the teacher of religious law is deeply entrenched in a philosophy of earning your way to heaven he was born into this he literally grew up learning the these Almost 700 laws. He knows the laws. He knows the summary of the 700 laws. Jesus said, What does the law say? And the guy knows the summary. He he repeats it to Jesus right away Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He knows this stuff. But he doesn't know the purpose of the laws. And he doesn't know the person, capital P, he doesn't know the person of the laws. And so Jesus reveals what the law or the Old Testament concealed. Jesus is the revelation of the law. Jesus in the New Testament reveals what was concealed in the Old Testament. The the things like Kenzie read about from, from Isaiah, that a root will spring up. That's Jesus. Okay, that's, that's, Jesus is the answer. So this guy's asking a question. He's literally talking to the answer uh, that the New Testament gives to to the Old Testament, and he's asking Jesus, "What must I do here in order to get there? What do I got to do to get to heaven?" And Jesus flips it and says, "Let's bring Let's bring heaven here so that everyone can get there." That's the point of the parable. In verse twenty six, Luke says that uh, Jesus reply to the question with another question. You don't have to answer every question. That, that, I don't know about you, but I love that. But It feels good. If somebody asks you like a really difficult question, um, Jesus didn't answer every question. You don't have to either. And sometimes Jesus replied to a question with a question. So if you ever feel like someone's trying to corner you or trap you, you're at a family dinner. You're just there for the turkey, but someone's coming at you on an angle, uh, you know, with some, you know, theological question, or you know, some big pastor in the states had an affair, or something like this. So, you know, they they're just trying to trap you, right? You know, you know the, those times. Um, it's fair for you to ask the other person a question because this is what this is what Jesus did. Now. I'm going to give you a question that you can you can ask someone else if they ever try to corner you or trap you, um, especially theologically. You can ask the person genuinely. Okay, don't don't ask it with sarcasm or snark or attitude, but just ask the, the person genuinely. I'd love to know what you believe and what you base it on. I'd love to know what you believe. It could be anything, but but just help me understand what do you believe and what do you base it on? And then you can respond with what you believe and what you base it on. And I'm going to help you with that a little bit. We believe that Jesus is the resurrected son of God. And we base that on several things. Um, Eyewitness accounts, several hundred of them, Uh, The fact that the church emerged right in Rome where the persecution was taking place. Um, No one ever found the body of Jesus. They couldn't produce a body. There was no body. He was was alive. Um, We have evidence from Scripture. We have evidence from history. We have evidence from archaeology. The more that they dig, you know, the more that they find that lines up with Scripture. They're not finding things that say this is all a hoax, the more that they find, the more that it adds up. So scripture, history, archaeology, and a shared experience by billions of people for more than 20 centuries now, or well more, right? So that's what we believe, and that's what you, that's some of the things that you base it on. But Jesus does set a trap for the trapper. He knows that every expert in the law knows the summary. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So Jesus is setting him up. In verse 29, uh, Luke says the man to, um, to justify his actions is, is how it's phrased. In other words, the man is trying to be good enough. He's trying to demonstrate to Jesus and others that to justify his actions, that he's he's been good enough for to, to get into heaven, make himself look good enough to be accepted by God. This is a bare minimum question. This is someone who says, what is the least amount of good I have to do in order to be accepted by God? Can somebody just lower the bar, show me where it is? That's as good as I'm going to be or do. And that's it. Where where is the line? Because Jesus, when he says love the when the when the Pharisee repeats back to Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus says, you're right, you're right, do that. The guy's thinking, okay, but who is my neighbor? Like, it, it can't mean everyone. Like the bar can't be that high because I I can't I can't do that. I, can you lower the bar um, a little lower? Uh, give me a standard. There must be some fine print under that word neighbor because it just simply can't mean everyone. So what he's doing is he's comparing himself to others. You've done this. I've done this. Um, When you compare yourself to others, you're thinking, well, I'm not very good, but I'm a lot better than they are. You ever done that? Or you're thinking, man, I tell you what, If that person gets into heaven, we're all getting in. I'm getting in, we're getting in. Have you ever thought that? No, just me and Pierre. We're the only ones in the room who have ever thought that way, right? Comparison asks, how am I doing? Which is what this man is asking. How am I doing? Am I getting in? But compassion asks, how are others doing? And so Jesus teaches him a story about compassion, because he's asking the wrong question. He's saying to Jesus, hey, how am I doing? And Jesus is going to teach him and us a lesson. So Jesus replies with a story, and he places an unlikely hero in the story, a hero who is willing to risk his own life to save the life of someone else. The parable of the Good Samaritan points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. It points us to someone who is willing to lay down their life for ours. Do you see it? It points us to a level of sacrifice and compassion that has the power to change your life and to literally change The world and the people who follow Jesus don't just walk around this they don't just walk past this they see the cross of Jesus and they see that sacrifice and they take the compassion of God to heart and with God's help they then live lives of compassion towards everyone else have I mentioned that I've been to Israel three times are you tired of hearing that he's okay okay we get it you've been to Israel three times good for you but have I mentioned that we all we need to go to Israel? We need to get on a bus and take about eight or nine days and travel around. It will blow your mind. So start saving your your toonies and your loonies. Jericho is 29 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem, and it's downhill the whole way. It's a drop in elevation of about 3,400 feet. So if you're in Jericho, you go up to. Jerusalem. If you're in Jerusalem, you go down to Jericho. It's about 29 kilometers. The last time I was in Jericho, it was 44 degrees. We went in June. We'll try not to go in June. It's a little little balmy. I almost took my hoodie off. (laughs) True story. I almost took my hoodie off. Um, And Jesus intentionally puts a Jewish man as the victim. Now, most of his audience, right, Pharisees are there, and most of his audience as he's teaching, you know, a large percentage of them would have been Jewish. And when Jesus puts a Jewish man as the victim in the story, he's saying to the crowd, what if this was you? What if it was you who was beaten, and you were robbed, and you were left to die, what if it was you? So he puts them in that, in that position. And then he puts himself as the Samaritan, the hated Samaritan. That's who Jesus puts as himself in the story. The great theologian, Joan Osborne, you might not know her name, but you'll, you'll catch on when I say it. The great theologian, Joan Osborne said, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Jesus puts himself as the good Samaritan. If you've ever been to the Middle East or even if you have a television, you know that there are people groups there in that part of the world with deep-rooted generational hatred for other groups. They're born with it. It's just they're born with it. They're taught it. and They just know that, that you are supposed to hate them. We will never like them. We will never love them. This will never be reconciled. You as this people group are supposed to hate them. This hatred for one another. And this was true when Jesus is talking about the Jewish man who is who's robbed and a Samaritan. If he had flipped the story and said a Samaritan was beaten, people might have applauded and said, Good, they deserve it. Good for them. Let them die. You know, but Jesus didn't. He puts a Jewish man as the as the victim in the story. These groups have literally literally been fighting since Cain and Abel. You know how long Cain hated his brother as long as he was able. (laughs) I didn't do that in the first service. I mean, they were they were with me. They were you know. But this one, we had to wakey wakey. Um, it's literally. These people groups have been fighting since Cain and Abel. And early on in this story, when Jesus starts to tell this parable, he exposes that hatred, right? He just brings it right out and says, you know, you're asking me how to get to heaven. And you've been keeping all of these laws. You're really good at keeping the laws. But you've got this hatred in your heart for your brother. And we need to talk about that hatred because that's a problem. He's showing them that keeping... 700 laws or 7,000 laws won't fix your heart. It won't break the cycle of hatred and pride and pain in your world. It won't uproot that seed of sin in your heart and replace it with the love of God. You'll never be good enough. Until you see, gang, are you with me? Until you see everyone as your brother, your sister, a human, a soul that God loves, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't already have your seatbelts on, this would be a good time to buckle up. Send your emails to Kenzie at... And by the way, great job this morning with the prayer and, and, and that's awesome job. I had 16 OT young adults the other night and you're doing a fantastic job. Here we go, you ready? We, I'm preaching to myself too, so when I say we, all of us, pass by someone who needs help and think they're getting what they deserve. They've made bad decisions. I've made better decisions. Look at my life. I'm not in that situation. They've made bad decisions. They, They should have gone a different way. Or we assume Right, we make assumptions because you don't know their story. We assume that, that they've ruined their lives with addictions, they've wasted their opportunity. They should get a job. If I help them, they'll, they'll just waste it. And the point of Jesus' story is that compassion is not conditional. Compassion is radical. Compassion steps towards the need, regardless of risk or cost. Compassion crosses those lines that have been drawn by hatred. It's this level of love that does not see color, or race, or ethnicity, or gay, or straight, or queer, or any other division. Compassion just just shows the love of God unconditionally. And you're thinking, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, Yeah, but the priest came along. I don't know why Jesus has to be preaching at the priest. It's not not real comfortable with that. But anyhow, the pastor comes along, and what's he do? He walks to the other side of the road. And then an assistant pastor comes along. wasn't pointing at that part of the room for any particular reason. It was just totally random. An assistant pastor came along, and he walked around to the other side. And then in verse 33, a despised Samaritan came along. And can you imagine what the crowd felt when Jesus put a despised Samaritan in the story? They're like, are you serious? For real? A despised Samaritan? And when he looked, he felt compassion. You ever try to not make eye contact with a needy person? Straight ahead, straight ahead. Don't look, don't look, don't look. The light's gonna turn green. Don't look, don't look. Straight ahead. Like, try not to look at roadkill, Right? You see something up on the on the road and ahead of you on the highway and you think, oh man, that's gross. I'm not gonna look, I'm not gonna look, I'm not what in the world hit that thing. Mercy. What hit that? That's a mess. And we try not to look, and Jesus says, when the when the despised Samaritan looked, because when you look, when you look into the eyes of another human, you will look into their heart, and you will be moved. And, and the problem is we don't want to be moved. I'm too busy to be moved and I've got my own stuff and I've got places to go and things to do and, and I can't fix your problem and I don't know what this, you know, got you into that position, but anyhow, it's, you know, someone else will, oh, I'll just pray that God will send Pierre because I'm not, I'm not helping right now. And people don't need our comparisons where we think, well, I've, I've just done better with my life. They don't need our comparisons. They need our Compassion. They need our compassion. If the story had been flipped and it was a dying Samaritan, many in the crowd would have scoffed and said, good for him, let him die. Let him die. I might have gone over and helped him die. But Jesus flips the story. And I think we're supposed to flip the story too. The people living in tents or standing around intersections in our city are not the only needy people. When I don't give from what God has given to me, I'm poor. I'm I'm the needy person in that situation. When my heart isn't moved with compassion, I'm empty. You see, people with needs are not the problem. A lack of compassion is the problem. The Samaritan's response is lavish. It's over and above. It's ridiculous. It's just, he just gives more and more and more and more. It's not, you know, the, the, the leftovers that he gives. He, he, he gives abundantly and he literally meets every need of his Jewish brother. And it wouldn't be until after the cross when the hearers of this story could, could think back and wonder and say, whoa, 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 remember that day he told us the story about the the Samaritan? Do you think he was talking about himself going to the cross? Do you think he was giving giving us a glimpse into the very heart of God, the compassion of God, that that he would go and, and, and lay down his life for us? That God would see us in our mess, in our broken state, And and he would willingly come alongside us, that he would would do anything to heal our wounds and pay the price for our sin and our brokenness. You see, it wouldn't be until after the cross when they could think, whoa, wait a minute. He told us about this. He told us that he would would not pass us by, that he would would heal us and he would mend us and he would fix us and that his grace would be abundant and lavish and rich and beautiful, wow. God would give us more than we could ever imagine or deserve. There was a time in my life when I was hungry and he fed me. I was thirsty and he gave me living water. I was a stranger and God invited me in. I was naked and he clothed me with a robe like the father running down the lane to meet his son who has come home and gives him a ring and a robe. I was sick and in prison, and Jesus came to visit me. Amen. You see, people, friends, lean into this with me this morning. We're, to, we're in the Grow series, and if you're growing spiritually, people who are growing spiritually are growing in their compassion for others. They're growing in their care for others. You're not, you should not become increasingly hardened or increasingly cynical or increasingly judgmental. The followers of Jesus should be growing in their love and their compassion and their care and their grace for others. Compassion is not someone else's job. Compassion is not a particular benevolent ministry of the church that we just give money to and someone else does it. Compassion is a natural overflow of a thankful heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It should just be, it should just be natural to, to do these things. Verses 36 and 37. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same, wow well there 's our our invitation and our response. Now go and do the same right and we don't have to uh, we don 't have to figure this one out it's kind of Jesus kind of lobs it to us underhand and says, "There it is now go and do the same Amen. Well, one of the things that I do when I come to the end of this the service, like this, is I ask myself, uh, what is the best possible response I could give right now? What is the absolute best way that I could respond to God in this moment? And I invite the Lord to just examine my heart, expose any any pride, any junk in my life, um, and and whatever I need to repent and turn over. If, if I've not been compassionate, I would say, Lord, I give that to you. That is wrong. And I surrender that to you. Would you forgive me for that? And then ways that I need to change. And I would say, Lord, um, my life is yours. That's it. You're everything to me. And whatever you want to do in my life, I will obey. I will surrender. And I just simply ask, what's, what's the best response What's the best thing I can do before I leave church this morning? So let's pray. Lord, again, I thank you for your word. And um, God, how you, you line up these moments that are only you. That, like, I just stand back and just try to get out of your way. There's no way on earth that, that uh, I or anyone else could could bring this together, you brought the music, the worship, the text, and the message, and the people, everyone who's here, you saw this moment coming. You knew who, who needed to hear this, um, and probably all of us, and Lord, would your Holy Spirit just continue to uh, stir us, but, but not only stir us, but to sh- awaken us. Uh, and changes because the city of Fredericton and wherever we live, wherever we go, needs compassionate Christ followers to just be the hands and feet of Jesus. So help us, I pray, as we respond to you in the remaining moments of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.